Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Design of Experience. Apparently, it is by design. 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 Conversations about the ideas that make us feel a tribal devotion to the things we love. Last week, Matt was walking along and he encountered a podcast called All Consuming. And what was this podcast about? It was about direct-to-consumer products and marketing. It got us to thinking and talking, which is what we do best. And so we decided to dedicate an entire episode to direct-to-consumer marketing and products. We will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. We will talk about what we love, and we will make fun of what we hate, as we are wont to do. But always in good fun and in good spirits, and without any sort of malice aforethought. How's that, Emily? A plus for effort, didn't love execution. Come on. You know, it just it's just been this this unending stream of negativity and criticism lately, Emily. <laughs> and uh you know, I think I think uh we've just about had it. Hey Matt. Hey Emily. Last week you sent Steve and I a link for a podcast. Yes, indeed. It's called All Consuming, and it is a work of art, and it is basically all about direct-to-consumer products, the products that you and I are bombarded with on Instagram, and these guys just talk for about an hour, sometimes longer, and they dissect these products and give them a rating, and it's hysterical. I didn't mean to be unkind to Mother. I mean about calling her old-fashioned. But she did spend an awful lot of time in that kitchen. And I did, too, helping. Frankly, I have better things to do with my time. And one fine day, I came home with our first pressure cooker. A presto meat master, really the works. And what a beauty. Even Mother went goggly-eyed. Matt, it's worth noting that you sent us this podcast because I was a bit, um, you know, insulting as I tend to be lately and just kind of overly annoyed about some of this stuff because the always pan is haunting me and my friends and one of my girlfriends who's a very talented writer, Ashley Fanker, wrote a hilariously sarcastic article about the always pan and it just, then I sent a message to everybody about the always pan and uh, your podcast, All Consuming, that you shared just gave me a mental outlet to laugh about all these direct-to-consumer brands while also kind of learning about them. And the two guys, like you said, are just awesome hosts. Yeah, truly. I have gone through a personal journey in the past few weeks because of this whole fiasco. So my girlfriend texted me and said her always pan arrived finally because if you watch the promo video they say in a very on the nose way that it's a weightless inducing pan mm -hmm. and everything about the video just makes me mad because it feels like someone put a lot of effort into doing this and taking themselves very seriously but unfortunately it gets really close to if Saturday Night Live were to make a promotional video for the ultimate direct-to-consumer product. Because of this, 
whole thing, I was like, let me get out one of my pans that I haven't used in a while, the green pan, which I don't know if it's direct to consumer or not, but I bought it a while ago and I was underwhelmed and mad at it. And then after using that for like a few days, I was like, heck no, why don't I just pull out like this 50 year old cast iron skillet and try to make all my meals in that. And do you know I've been using my cast iron skillet for like a month now, all because of the always pan bombardment, everything. I make it all. Good. That's awesome. That was sort of the jump off point in our conversation around DTC because we sort of found it to be overhyped, probably pretty impossible setting of expectations. And I think one of the frameworks we want to explore today, not only is just the the rise of, of DTC and how and why, on the one hand, the positives are that it makes uh, a meritocracy out of marketing a new product. You got a great idea. You figure out how to reach your audience. Go for it. Sell your first item. See if you can get the community behind you. But then there's other items that, uh, you know, like the always pawn, that it's just pretty hard for it to live up to the expectations they set. And so the internet is littered with critics who are saying, come on, I had to get one of these just to see if it was worth it. And guess what? It's not. Speaking of that, as a good jumping off point, that one of the articles that I read about the Always Pan was from the New York Times. And it concluded with this. And I think this sets the tone of direct consumer. This is they're reflecting on them testing the Always Pan. Though our testing has yet to conclude, we aren't likely to recommend these beautiful pans. But the heart wants what it wants. And if yours is begging for cookware that will complement your decor, we won't stop you. And that's, I think, so much of direct-to-consumer has to do with the core of marketing, which is emotion. And direct-to-consumer products these days are more, it's like marketing on steroids more than ever. We have always lived in the world of business to consumer, which just for definition is like when a retail store acts as the middleman between a brand and you. So we've gone to department stores forever. You go to the hardware store, you go to the grocery store, you have to go to these places to buy the products. But now with the uh, advent of not just e-commerce, but kind of turnkey e-commerce sync like Shopify and these platforms that allow a single person to quickly build a brand and sell something online super easily. We now have the proliferation of direct to consumer, which means a brand sells directly to you. You can just go on the website and buy it. You don't have to have a brick and mortar store, let alone your own brick and mortar store. So one of the big agencies in the agency world that is kind of a driving force behind direct-to-consumer is Red Antler, and they're pretty young. I mean, they've only been around for maybe a decade, I think. But there's this really great quote from Emily Hayward, who was one of the co-founders of Red Antler, and she says, direct-to-consumer is not a new business model in a technical sense. Uh, After all, many traditional retailers already sold directly to their consumers like Gap, H&M, J.Crew, any brand that owns its store is technically direct-to-consumer. However, a few key principles define this new wave of startups, which have been lumped together into one conversation, which is one, focus on value, two, stellar customer service, and three, digital-first brand building. So I feel like that quote from Emily Hayward really sets up where we're at and this, this shift we're seeing indirect to consumer. And this is, you know, to be clear, we're talking about something, this phenomenon has been around for quite a while. 
almost a century, uh, maybe more. And I, you know, I have fond memories of being a college kid and ordering from LL Bean. And you know, you're sitting there, you're thumbing through the catalog, you decide what you want, and then you, you know, fill out the form with your pen, put it in an envelope, send it off, and then one day. Probably not too long from then, you know, you get a pair of gum boots in in a box, and you're like, "Oh, it's like Christmas." I remember the days of send a self-addressed stamped envelope, and we will send you our catalog of goods. And it was also a time when Ron Popeil and the Ginsu knives and Ronco were looming large on television. I feel like, to a certain extent. Those alternative products prefigure this revolution in direct-to-consumer because it was always a product that was highly specialized. The Ronco rotisserie chicken oven, right? So it had a single purpose, or you know,、um, I mean, you know that that tape you can buy from TV now, where you can seal up a dam just by. Taping it, but what the primary difference is now? They're trying to say, okay, we're creating something unique. We're going to start small with one product, the pan. We'll expand ever so slowly, and we are going to brand the hell out of this. And we're going to use the most beautiful color palettes, which are、uh, overwhelmingly soothing and sort of pastel,、uh, you know. And、uh, the typography is going to be all. Serif-based fonts, because we know that if a, a company's logo is in a serif font, it means luxury. If it's a soft serif, it means you can trust it and you'll love it. I wonder if some of those original products you were talking about, like the Ronco rotisserie chicken maker, that's like a holdover from the old-fashioned kind of hype man, pitch man. Huckster form of the Ronco rotisserie chicken maker, hand-quality crafted from the finest plastics and metals, singularly unique in its trimline styling. It's the kitchen tool of the '80s. Yes, and you know you. But can... wait, there's more. If you act now, you'll also receive absolutely free an entire set of Ginsu knives. Yeah, I would go so far as to say that Instagram advertising for these DTC products. Are the evolution and, and、uh, replacement of the door-to-door salesman. Good morning, Mrs. Jones.、Uh, we said good morning. Oh, it's no use. Mrs. Jones is making out her menus for the week, scanning the food ads for bargains, and trying to make those food dollars cover five hearty appetites. She's got quite a problem. Could you use help? I certainly could. Wow! Does my mom cook 1,095 meals a year? That's a lot of meals. Based on your like the history that you two have given, and I think it's really important to say to notice what you guys have said that it is nothing new. Like maybe snake oil is the original direct to consumer product, but There is this interesting、um, kind of. I'm, look, I'm thinking of like a Doppler radar of like all these like elements of the hurricane coming together, right? All these perfect combination of cultural and technological moments that have made this such an explosion and like so much in your face you can't ignore it, and then it turns you into like an angry person because always pan won't leave you alone. That's my personal problem, but.、Um, I wrote down a list of what I think 
this perfect storm is. And I think it goes over some of what you guys said. So one, democratization of e-commerce. And what we mean by that is e-commerce was like a new thing. Like, Matt, I feel like when you and I met like 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, e-commerce and web 2.0 was like this whole big deal. So it's more just this idea of like democratization. You can go and open a Shopify account and e-commerce is ready for you. You don't have to worry about credit card payment technology or security or it's all baked into one package and anybody can do it. Also, number two, there is this entire population, AKA your potential audience on social media platforms. So the whole thing with marketing and advertising, where to reach your audience, where are they? They're all in the same place which has never before happened in history. Before it was like, okay, we'll rent 30 seconds of screen time at the baseball game so we can rent, so we can reveal or get time with our fans that are sports oriented. Now it's like everybody's in the same place. That's never happened before. There's also what I call a mystical group of overnight online celebrities, also known as influencers, that narrow the gap between celebrity and normal person. That's a huge thing because before when you've always had celebrity endorsements, but we've always felt like celebrities are very far away. We don't really think they're real people all the time, but the influencer thing is super weird because it's like a hyper amplified with quotes around it, normal person. Although they don't often seem normal, but you get what I'm saying. Yep. And, um, you know, there's this homogenous nature to everything about the presentation, the way the body language is and the overhyped exaggeration, like, oh my God, guys, this changed my life. You'll never believe what I found. A pan, and when I rest the spoon on the handle, there's a little notch and it doesn't slide into the pan. The last thing that I think is interesting is that some of these brands have kept the consultant model like Pampered Chef or Mary Kay or Tupperware. We were used to those brands in the 80s and 90s that had consultants and home parties. Some of them have kept that model where you you have to, like when you go and buy on the website, you have to choose a consultant that you're buying through, even though it doesn't really affect anything on your ordering process. But this new thing is, you know, the ambassador model where everyday people are becoming ambassadors for brands. And it's one step more personal than the consultant, because if you're a consultant for Pampered Chef, it's kind of just part of your, you consider it an extra income stream, or maybe it's a full job for you. Um, it's something you take part in. But the ambassador model is like, this brand is part of my identity, and you're adopting all of the brand qualities into yourself. And a lot of these influencers are ambassadors for multiple brands and products. So it's almost as if the qualities of those brands are baked into that person's personal brand. So again, those lines get really blurry between everyday life and brand ambassador. What I was going to note is the brilliance of all those points that we just said is that not only is this the perfect time and space for all of these things to come together like they never could before, but they are disrupting uh, industries like never before. I think that the model for buying products and services was the same for so long, you know, several decades. We purchase things, whether it's through catalogs or going into an office or going to a store. But this model that's come around now with this perfect storm of ingredients has all of a sudden changed 
how people buy things in so many industries. And it allows people to focus on things to a level that we've never focused on before. So like who would have thought, one of the first ones I think about is like Casper mattress. When those commercials started coming out and those ads, I was so confused because I was like, why do we need to be so focused on a mattress? Because they came in and were hyper-focused on a mattress and all of a sudden just blew up the model of going to mattress warehouse or whatever. But the brilliance of it is that all of a sudden you're taking on an industry that hasn't been disrupted for decades, like men's razors, that's a big one, with Harry's or Dollar Shave Club. And you just come in and attack with a completely different business model for people that were not on the lookout at all. Um, so I think doing that allows you to once again be have a first to market strategy in a market that previously didn't seem like uh, that seemed very mature. And I think that kind of brings us to the idea of things that are great about this whole revolution. We're going to use an ordinary garden variety peach with its short, close fuzz and tender skin and a regular regimental hairbrush with its rough, tough bristles to prove to you that the man-sized Remington electric shaver will give you a close, comfortable shave, no matter how tender your skin, no matter how tough your beard. The Remington is so gentle that it can shave the short, close fuzz off a peach without harming its tender skin. And the Remington is so powerful that it can shave the bristles off a brush, bristles tougher than any beard. Remember the amazing demonstration of the peach and brush. The flip side of the meritocracy in terms of a lowering the bar and how you get into the market that will make successful and quality DTC products, and I thought about this because of the Casper mattress example, is the review system. The fact that every consumer now has access, has a voice that can be heard by every single prospect who is considering that product. And that is a huge differentiator from the snake oil salesman, the traveling you know, salesmen that could just kind of keep moving from town to town, sell crap. And by the time people figured out it was crap, they were long gone. And that doesn't work anymore. Like if the always pan really is that good, then the consumers who buy it are going to communicate their love for it. And if it falls short of its 140 some dollar price tag, then everybody's going to hear it and they're not, and it'll be a short lived fad. Although I will say this about the reviews, at least coming from a female perspective where there's like all sorts of things like the pretty pan and makeup and clothing and all those things that get marketed. When I actually looked, I actually watched tons of YouTube videos before this podcast about people doing video reviews of the always pan. And it seemed like there was a frightening trend and I can't prove this. But the people who were honest about it and said, this does not live up to the hype, they were very normal, everyday people. Like one of the key personas per se is like the like um, bargain searching mom. You know, there's tons of bloggers out there that like the mom's looking for ways to, you know, do all the meals on a budget and be very real and help other moms. Those types of characters were like, this thing is not worth it. Don't spend your budget on it. But then there was this other group of people who came off as like, wanting to 
fit in and keep up with the Joneses, and they raved about this thing. So even the reviews are hard to sort through because what is the agenda? What is what is the person want to convey about themselves through the review? So even that is hard to figure out. Matt, what are some things that you love and hate about where direct-to-consumer marketing and products are today? I really do love the typography in the branding. It's partly just because as a designer for years, everything was sans serif, sans serif, sans serif all day long. And at a certain point, it became obnoxiously generic. In fact, uh, Vox or Vice, one of these outlets, wrote an article about sort of the onslaught of sans serifs and branding bonobos and all these other brands boring 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 so there's just something nice about this this new explosion of typography and i think the brands it's not just sans serif typography but it's the willingness to really play with color palettes and stuff on the web um i do love the idea of democratization especially when you see somebody who seems to be really independent going out and and trying something. And that's what is a bit of a turnoff with some of these brands that are clearly uh, well invested in is they've got a formula now. And especially, you know, the first 30 times you see it, that's cool. But when you do bump into a, a manufactured influencer account, it's like, ah, uh, well, not going to do that. There is a lot to be said for the innovation and the, you know, offering something new, but then I always wonder about what's the ethical situation. This is a story, a story of an industry in action. Gonna take me a press, gonna take me some steel, gonna take my two hands and build an automobile. How many dreams can you shape in a minute, an hour? Ask the people of Dodge. Steve, what about you? Well, I do love the I love the disruption of it. I like it when new ideas and new products, innovations can sort of see the light of day. There is a fairly nefarious side to ubiquitous brands that hold the keys and are the gatekeepers to what makes it into the market because they own the distribution channels. And so they, you know, patent trolling is real. People getting their idea taken is real. And so the idea that an innovator, an inventor can come up with a product, figure out a way to make it, put it out there and get it in front of enough people to achieve some critical mass is very appealing. I think that's probably the romantic view we have of how this works. And in reality, they're probably heavily backed startups that, you know, land a gig, get taken on by Red Antler, who knows how to make a brand star overnight. But I like the directness of direct to consumer. Got a great idea? Know how to find your audience? Great. Start selling. Make your first dollar. 
And that's something, you know, when coaching young entrepreneurs with a business idea, Kurt Dutra, my former business partner, taught me to always say, you know, figure out how to make your first dollar, then let's talk again. Like, that's your business plan. Figure out how to make a buck. And so I love the way DTC allows entrepreneurs to make their first dollar. What I don't like is, you know, Matt's thing of how much of it is actually real. Are they good products or not? Um, you know, you've eliminated a ton of costs by not having the supply chain and the overhead that a big, huge brand does, but that doesn't really get passed on to the consumer. A lot of the prices of these DTC products are actually still pretty high because they appeal to a bespoke kind of boutique buying persona. And so that's something I don't, I don't like about it. A person's motivations will be revealed eventually. And if the product is based off of people that are really passionate about good design, then that's awesome. In my book, that's really cool to see the them able to enter the market. But when some of these brands are about like, I don't know, a look and something that's very cheaply and quickly manufactured because there's a whole issue with fast fashion, that really bothers me because it's not a focus on design anymore. It's a focus on a look of the moment. And that irks me personally. And sometimes I get, maybe I get a little cynical, but I'm a big fan of a lot of timeless designs. You've heard me talk before about like an Eames chair or a Parsons table. Sometimes I feel like these brands don't want to earn their legacy. They just want to shoot to the top really fast and make a quick dollar and look good while doing it. And that could be my own problem or perception, but it's something that I have definitely come into it with a bias in that sense. And I do feel like on that note, I feel like this idea of like speed and fast and quick success is some of the promises that some of the brands are seeking. But if they are genuinely trying to solve a design problem or do something better, then that's pretty cool. I will tell you my other favorite direct consumer brand, which is a client of Red Antler, is ThreadUp which is the world's largest online thrift store. And it is my favorite website of all time because people give away so much really good clothing. I mean, the sweater I'm wearing right now, and it's like in really good condition. And you can buy so much good secondhand clothing on there. And I am so for that. It's kind of got me to the point where if I buy new clothing, I'm like, I could have bought this on ThreadUp but I buy most of my clothing on ThreadUp these days. I've gotten, you know, sucked in a couple times like Matt. I bought, uh, you know, during COVID, like many people, my alcohol consumption went to a point that I was thinking, you know what, I need to cut back a little bit. So I, I bit on a targeted ad by a company called Seedlip. They have beautiful packaging and design and talk about their product very elegantly. It's a non-alcoholic distilled spirit and people love it. And so I'll give them that. I went ahead and bought all three available flavors for about 80 some bucks. So, you know, they're like 30 bucks a bottle. And if you buy the, the package, you get all three for like 80 bucks. Not worth it. Wouldn't do it again. Flavored water. Nothing that I could discern that was particularly special about it or made me want to turn it. You know, I tried a bunch of different cocktail recipes and it was all like, eh, not good. I'm not, no, it's just way too much money. I'm not doing this again. So that was a disappointment where, you know, just good branding and advertising got me and the product disappointed me. Well, 
I think that idea of the heart wants what it wants, whether it's in that momentary transaction, you know, they're really good at catching you in the moment and getting you to focus on the value right there. Or if you thought about it for a while, I think that quote from New York Times, the heart wants what it wants, is really the, the key driver to a lot of these things. I agree. I do have a quote, a quote to wrap us up, if I may. An- another one from Emily Hayward, because she is a she's a direct consumer guru. Traditional retail is being forced to respond to the threat of direct to consumer by working harder to create better relationships with their consumers whether through acquisition or evolution. And direct-to-consumer businesses will continue to evolve as well. Businesses with a genuine point of difference, businesses that are focused on their consumers and finding new ways to deliver value for them, will also find their way to making money if they haven't already. After all, people need to buy their socks and dog food somewhere. The beautifully designed pastel box with a clever headline on its flaps has been opened and we cannot tape it shut. Well said. The Design of Experience is produced by 15.4, a creative agency located in Charm City, Baltimore. Produced by Emily Wolf, edited and engineered by Sam Otto and Josh Frisch, with story and creative development by Matt DeVille and Steve Smallman.